Tremendous song, tremendous, tremendous song. All the songs tonight have been just what my spirit has needed uh, after that debate last night. Focus my attention back on the Lord. Uh, Beulah land, my anchor will hold when the trumpet shall call me away. That's, that's what we need. And, uh, and I hope that you're fired up like I am tonight because, man, I have, I've got the goods tonight. I, the Lord has just been burdening me with this passage, and, um, and I'm excited to be able to let it out. And, uh, and hopefully it comes across in a way you can get something from it. And, uh, and so if you would, turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. 
It's a great passage of scripture. Uh, I think for the most part, we quote the first verse and leave the rest. <laughs> and, uh, and today, in the world in which we live, uh, this verse is so applicable. Now, Psalm chapter 2 is a prophetical passage. It's, going, it's prophesying of the time when Jesus Christ will come in his first appearing and what he's going to do in this world and how he's going to change it. And, uh, and then it's also prophetical of his second coming when, we'll, when he'll come and, uh, and, and lay waste to the world with that rod of iron. And, uh, and so we're going to look at this passage and I'm going to do the best I can. It's, it's 10 verse, or, uh, 12 verses long and I want to go through it verse by verse with you uh, quickly this evening. So let's ask the Lord to help us. And, uh, and make some personal application. Lord, I pray that you would still my mind and loose my tongue. Lord, that I would not say anything that I shouldn't say, uh, but that I would uh, be clear in my transfer of what you've given to me. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would be with the church. Lord, we've gathered together tonight, um, and I know for sure that they, uh, people that are here did not gather to hear from me, uh, but from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill all of our cups to overflowing, that we would leave convicted, challenged, and changed, uh, Lord, from uh, the result of the preaching of your word. Bless this time together, I ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 2, in verse number 1, says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? We've heard this phrase, this, uh, this verse quoted frequently. And, uh, and so let's just go through this, and I'll, and I'll try to move quickly here. Why do the heathen rage? Uh, one of uh, my, my, my passions is using the Word of God to def define itself. Um, I don't like to jump right to a dictionary or, or to a commentary. I want to use the Word of God, and so I'll use a, a concordance. I'll use a, a, the, whatever cross-referencing I can get and try to define these words. And through the Word of God, we see uh, rage is defined as anger. Uh, in Psalm chapter 7, verse 6, it's defined as tumult in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 28. Uh, anger and tumult, they come together to, to create this picture of a, of a furious anger. Why do the people rage? They have that furious anger. Why do the people rage? They have that uncontrollable or that unreasonable uh, uh, of anger in their minds, even to the point where they're incoherent or uh, not understandable. Why, you, can't even, you can't look at them and understand why they're even angry. You look at them and you say, what are they so upset about? And we see that in the world in which we live today, don't we? We see the heathen raging, and most of the time you look at what's going on uh, in their lives, you say, well, what do they have to be angry about? We see it in all the social uh, signaling that we see today. People, uh, people uh, getting up and apologizing for things that they had no part of. I'm not going to apologize for my whiteness. People are angry about my whiteness. But why am I going to apologize? What do I have to apologize for? But you see a raging of the heathen. Right? And, and that's what the Bible is, is, opens up in this passage. <laughs> it was thrusting us immediately into this passage uh, that's going to paint a horrible picture for the first couple verses. It's discouraging. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Imagine a vain thing is as though they're, they're, they're beating against the air. The, the phrase that the Lord used to, to help us understand this was in his conversation with Saul as he was on that road, the Damascus road. And he said, Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? 
Imagining a vain thing is, 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 to, is to think in your mind that you're going to accomplish something that will never happen. And the world today is, is dead set against destroying the church. They're dead set against destroying God. They're dead set against removing Him from our society. And so this opening uh, verse in, in this song, this Psalm chapter 2, is discouraging in some ways. Why do the heathen rage? And why do they imagine this vain thing? Why are they so furiously angry and why are they constantly attacking the church? Well, we see in verse number 2 that it doesn't stop there. That it's not simply just the people of the world. But in verse number 2, it says, And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And again, we're just going to go this phrase by phrase as we go. The kings set themselves. What is to, to set? To set is to, to prepare themselves. They strategize. The kings of this world are strategizing how they can accomplish their vain imaginations. How they can set themselves in a position where they can have victory over God. And how they can have victory over His church. And, and it's not just a, a flying by the seat of their pants. The world is organized. They are not flippant. They are not casual. It is not spur of the moment. They are entrenching themselves. They are digging in against or in battle against the church. And we see that all around us today, don't we? Don't we see the world digging in against the church? Don't we see them digging their heels, as it were, into the ground, preparing to tug of war against the church? It's exactly what they're doing. We see it all around us today. The kings set themselves. It's a determined stance, is it not? They are determined to have victory over the church. They are determined to have victory over God. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together. And even though these kings are set, even though they are dug in and even though they are strategizing, they realize that that's not good enough. They take, they take counsel together. You know, it's amazing. The world can't agree on anything except their opposition of God. They can't agree on anything together. There is nothing that they, you can put them all together in a room that they'll agree upon except what opposes God. And the rulers of the earth, they take counsel together. They want to be victorious in their cause. And so we see this determination. You know, if only the church was as united. Yeah, what we could accomplish. Yeah, if we would take counsel together, if we would set ourselves against the world, right? Not in it, or in it but not of it, right? Man, we could accomplish so much if we had that same determination and unity. But the world is unified on all fronts in its battle against the God, against the Lord. And we see here in our passage, they say in verse number three, and let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords. You know what we see here in this passage, the, the rulers and, and the heathen and those that are raging and those that have the vain imaginations, they're looking at the church and they're saying, let us cast aside the cords. What does that mean? Well, it means they realize that it's the church that's holding back their ability to do whatever they want. Our world is, is steadily declining into a world of flippant immorality, debauchery. It's wicked. 
And it, were it not for the church, it would be a whole lot worse. And the heathen realize it. Let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast the, their cords away from us. As though the, the, the world is painting this picture like we're bound. The, the church is binding us. If it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for the church, we could do whatever we want. We could be gods. We could make our own rules. We could do whatever we wanted. But it's the morality of the Lord and His law and the church that restrains the world. At least it ought to. We see a church today, a church very loosely, that has allowed the world to infiltrate itself. And because of that, there is no holding back. There is no stemming of the tide. But when the, when the Lord is truly present in your life and in my life, and obviously in the church, it keeps the devil at bay. Amen. It does. Uh, we, know, uh, we know that um, if we were to look over there in Mark uh, chapter 5, where, uh, the, where the, the man whose name is Legion is out of control. He's filled with a legion of demons. And what happens when he is full of demons and the Lord is not around? He's completely controlled by them. He's naked. He's out in the wilderness. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. He's doing his own thing. But when Jesus shows up, they know immediately that something's going to happen. And they say, hey, don't cast us out into the country. Don't cast us out into the darkness. Because when Jesus is present, the devil is bound. Right? The devil is bound. He's being held at bay. And that's what the heathen are raging about. They want to conquer the church. They want to destroy the church. Because they know if they can, they can cast aside those cords. They can cast aside the binding. And they can let loose their heathenistic rage. <laughs> they can do whatever they want to do. They are angry against the Lord. They are angry at him. Let us break aside their bands, or their, let us break, break asunder their uh, bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now we understand that the world is against the Lord. John chapter 15, if you look over there with me, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse number 18. All right, we'll read a, a brief passage of Scripture here. John 15, verse 18. And, and uh, as you're turning here, let me reread these verses. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The world is against the Lord and is against his anointed. John chapter 15, verse 18, uh, Jesus speaking says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will per also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will, also, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had, not, uh, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man 
did, they had, not, uh, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the, world may be, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. And so we see Psalm chapter 2 being fulfilled in John chapter 15, where, where they are dead set against the Lord. And they hate him. They want to destroy him. They want to destroy everything that he stands for. Why? Because he came, revealed their wickedness, and they couldn't ignore it any longer. The cloak, that they, uh, the cloak of their righteousness that had once covered their sin, where they said, oh, we're good, we keep the law, but then he showed up and said, there is none righteous, no, not one. And all of a sudden, that cloak was torn away, and they hated him for revealing that in themselves. Yes, amen. And because he revealed that in them, they are still attacking the church today. Because they don't, want to be, they don't want that revealed. They want to live their wickedness without restraint. And so, turn back to Psalm chapter 2. In verse number 3, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They want that freedom to do as they see fit. The first three verses of our chapter here, Psalm chapter 2. These verses all fit together neatly in their own little package. It begins in Psalm chapter 2 with the writer, the psalmist, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, drawing our eye and our mental imagery on this plane. It says, look at the world. That's what these first three verses say. Look at the world. Look at the heathen and how they rage. Look at how the rulers are set themselves, how they've set themselves. Look at how the counselors take counsel together, the, 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 uh, they take counsel together to, to stand in defiance of God. And look at what they're trying to accomplish. They're trying to break the cords asunder. They want to destroy the Lord and everything that he stands for. So in the first three verses, we have a very depressing image. And boy, don't we see it today. We see it playing out right in front of us today. As I said, this was prophetical of his first appearing. But now we're in the timeline where that next appearing is going to come and these exact things are going to unfold again. The heathen, as they did back then, will rage. They will imagine vain things. The rulers will set themselves and they will take counsel together saying, let us break asunder these cords. And that's where we are at today. That's what we see unfolding. And sure, just like we saw in John chapter 15, that means there's going to be some persecution for you and I. That means there's going to be some difficulty that we will face. If they hated him, don't be surprised that they hate you. The servant is not greater than the master. If they hated the master, they're going to hate the servant as well. And so we live in that age, in that time right now, where they are hating us and they hate everything we stand for. And some may look at that and say, how discouraging. What a horrible time and place to live. Oh, but the rest of the chapter is not over yet. It's not over. And so we look and we move forward because the next few verses are going to draw our attention off of this plane. God says, all right, enough of this. I want you to start looking up here. I want you to start looking up at me. And I want you to notice verse number five. Then shall, speak, then shall he speak unto them in his... Oh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. We skipped verse four. We can't do that. No, no, this one's too good. He that sitteth in the heavens, remember this whole people that's set against him, shall laugh. 
shall laugh. You know, why are Christians so discouraged about the time and place in which we find ourselves today? We knew it was going to happen. We knew it was just a matter of time. We knew it was going to be hard. We know it's going to be hard. We know that sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then what do we see? We see God in heaven laughing. Doesn't that sound like good cheer to you? It sounds like good cheer to me. He sees everything that's taking place. We only see a a little glimpse of it. You know what you and I don't see? We don't see the, the witchcraft that is taking place in West Africa. We don't even see that part of it. All we see is the little riots and the piddly mess that we have going on in our country. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying it, but there is far worse happening in this world. Far deeper evil. Evil. Not, I mean, <laughs> oh, that reminded me. Evil. Uh, it's a foot. Evil's a foot, yeah, from the, from the skits, Brother Dave and Brother Pete. All right. Evil. You had to have been there if you weren't there. You don't know what I'm talking about, but... It's evil. The world in which we live is evil, evil, evil. Wicked. We just see a little glimpse of it. But God, he's looking at all of this mess. He's seeing all of it at once. And his response is that of laughter. There ought to be joy in the Christian's life. Even in the most difficult of times. Even in the most trying and... and, and, and uh, testing, the deepest testings, there ought to be joy. And we see in verse 4 that he that, uh, that he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Derision is something that is afflicted upon people when they make a mockery of their stupidity. Jeremiah the prophet said, Lord, you have me in derision of these people. These people laugh at me. They make a mock at me. You tricked me. You deceived me and I was deceived and they have me in derision. You've turned me into a mockery. The Lord had a purpose for Jeremiah going through derision. And you know what? He's going to make a mockery of the world. They're going to say, oh, we have the upper hand. Oh, we have the victory. But he knows already. And he laughs in the heavens. Knowing what the victory will be. Verse number five. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. Man, what a powerful phrase. Does it say that he draws his sword? It doesn't say that he takes action. It doesn't say anything except that he speaks. I think that's important for us to take note of. Because when the Lord speaks, the miraculous happens. And when we look in Genesis chapter 1, we see that the Lord spoke everything into existence. By the voice of the Lord, everything that there is became. From nothing, it came forth. By the voice, the spoken word of the Lord. And here he is in the midst of all this mess when we see all the turmoil, we see all the chaos, and we're just looking at it as it's derision. He's laughing from that vantage point saying, all I have to do is speak and there's going to come a day where I'm going to speak and all this is going to end. It's going to be done. What an amazing truth that is, that he's just going to speak. Oh, you look through scripture and you see where the Lord spoke. When he spoke, he calmed raging storms. 
When he spoke, he prepared a great fish to change Jonah's mind and his stubborn rebellion. When he spoke, the dead came to life, the blind saw, the lame were healed. When he spoke those words to that thief on that cross, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was done. His salvation was sealed simply by the spoken word of the Lord. What an amazing thing. The Lord is in control of the world in which we live. And he's sitting in heaven. He's sitting upon his throne in laughter. And one day he's going to speak. And he spoke unto them in his wrath. And vexed them, verse 5, in his sore displeasure. Oh, he's not permitting it. And don't we in our own arrogant ways sometimes think that because the hand of the Lord hasn't come against us, we think we're getting away with stuff? Yeah, we do it even, as though we're, even though we're Christians. We do something we ought not to do and we hide it. He that hideth his sins shall not prosper. But we hide our sins. We think that we're getting away with it. Why wouldn't the world think that? But one day he'll make it clear to them they know it, just like we know we're hiding sin. They know that they're going against God. One, one day he'll speak and every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Verse 6, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Who is the king? Who's the king in reference here? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king. And, and we see that the, the Lord is saying, I have set my king. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, talking about Jesus and that, that return to earth here. And he hath on his vesture and on his right thigh a name written, King of Kings. And the Bible tells us here in all of the mess and everything that's taking place, I have set my king upon the holy hill Zion. Well, Zion was where the temple was in the Old Testament. It's where it was established. But now in prophecy and where it's fulfilled, Zion is the church. And Jesus Christ rules and reigns as head of the church. And so we see the prophecy of where Jesus Christ in this passage is ruling and reigning. He has been set over the hill of Zion. The king is Jesus. Holy Zion is a, a picture of the church. And so what we see here is the world wants unbridled freedom to do what they want to do. But they recognize that it's being, they're being held back by the Lord. And more specifically, the king who's been set upon the hill, which is the church. And so they recognize that they want freedom, but in order to do that, they have to go through the church. And so they attack the church. They attack, they attack, they attack. But God's in heaven. And he's laughing. He will set them at derision. Why? Well, be just like it said there in verse 6. Yet, that word yet. They're doing all of these things. They're fighting against me. They're attacking me. They're, 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 they're heathen and they are raging. And yet, it speaks of something that's already been done. It doesn't matter how much the heathen rage. It doesn't matter how, how much they fight. It doesn't matter how much they set themselves or desire to be let loose. They will not prevail against the church. Will they? 
Why? Because he's already been set as king. The victory has already been won. They will never have unbridled power. They will, remember, it's a vain imagination. They're wanting something that they can never have. Why? Because the king has already been set. The battle has already been won. The victory has already been completed. And so they're fighting a battle that they can never win. It's an amazing thing. As we see these things unfold right in front of us. How the world is attacking and we see more more clearly now than ever how they're set against the church. There's people that say, oh, that this virus, it's not just about the church. This is a legitimate thing. And And I agree with you, it is a legitimate thing. But I disagree with you, it is about the church. Because it's been that way from the beginning. Every opportunity the devil has had has been against the church. It's been to kick. It's been to fight. It's been to tear down. It's been to destroy. Since the time that Jesus Christ, well, even before that, but as far as the church age in the New Testament, since the time that Jesus Christ graced this world with his presence, they hated him and they have fought against him and they continue to fight against us today because they hate the church. But the victory has already been won. They will not prevail. They will not have victory. In Matthew chapter 16, it talks where Peter is having that discussion. Peter, who do men say that I am? Okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the truth of who Jesus is, not Saint Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because the king has been set upon the holy hill of Zion. There is no defeating and overcoming Jesus Christ. He has already overcome the world. Let's look as we uh, here as we move quickly. Verse number seven. It's kind of a change of tone because now Jesus is speaking of himself. He's introducing himself. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son this day. Uh, this day have I begotten thee. So here's, here's Jesus. Uh, introducing himself, that he's the son of God, the only begotten of God. And he says in verse number eight, uh, now, and now the, it's back, all right? So Jesus spoke for a moment, and now Jesus introduced himself, and now Jesus is quoting something that his heavenly father has told him. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possessions. You know, it was commonplace for a king to give someone that he really loved this kind of promise. Do you remember Herod in John the Baptist day? He takes his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, to be his wife, so he's in adultery, and John's preaching about that, him being in adultery. And Herod watches Herodias' daughter dance, Salome, dance before him. And what did Herod say to Salome? Ask of me anything you want, and I'll give it to you. 
And she says, I want the head. Well, she goes confers with mom first. And then she comes back and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Why? Because the king in those days had power to give anything that was within his kingdom. And the Lord, God, the Father, says to the Son, Son, whatever you want, you can have. You're my begotten. You're my beloved. And you know what Jesus asked for? The heathen for an inheritance. He said, I'll take the sinners. I'll take the world. The Lord set him as over the church, and and here Jesus comes in and says, you know what, I'll take those stinking little brats down there that we made, that we spoke into existence, and they've turned their back against us. What an amazing picture that's, that's, that's placed for us as we take our attention now and we move it from the wickedness of this world in which we find ourselves and we look upon God and his goodness in our lives. We look at how he treated us when we were heathen and lost. We look at how he changed us and how he saved us and how he redeemed us and now how he's molding us into the image of his son. A son who when was offered anything of the kingdom said, I'll take the heathen for my inheritance. What amazing grace. What great compassion and love. It's such an amazing thing. In verse number 9, it talks about what Jesus is going to do to those who won't turn. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, the Lord, he, he beats all of us at some times. But those who will bend, who will humble themselves, will get saved or will repent. But those who will stiffen their necks when hit with that rod of iron will be like the potter's vessel. And when you break a clay pot with a baseball bat, are you going to put it back together? No. And there is a group of people who have stiffened their necks. And the Lord will hit with the bat, the rod of iron, and they will break. So be wise now, verse number 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Hey, you better not fight. Now, I know you're all set against me, and I know you're taking counsel against me, but I'm going to give you another warning because I'm long-suffering. Because I'm gracious. Because I'm full of compassion. So listen to me now, because the time will come when my rod of iron will strike. And if you will not humble yourself in the sight of God, you will be dashed like the potter's vessel, broken to pieces. But if you will humble yourself, I will forgive you. And so be wise, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. I love this verse. Kiss the sun. What an interesting phrase. In my mind's eye, and I'm no deep theologian, but I picture the king with the ring, right? Holding his hand out. And it's kind of what the Lord is extending here. He's extending the olive branch, is he not? One more chance for reconciliation. And the king holding out his hand, and and the instruction given here at the end of this chapter is kiss the sun. 
bow and submit to the king. The king who's been set over the holy hill of Zion. The king of the church. The king who rules and reigns in this world. You know, you and I won't answer to God, uh, or those that are lost won't answer to God the Father at the, ju- at the uh, great white throne judgment. You know, they're answered to Jesus Christ because he's been set as king. And so the passage says, kiss the son. Kiss the capital S-O-N. Bow in submission. Realize that you can't fight against him. You're, you're imagining a vain thing. It'll never happen. You cannot win against the Lord. You will never win against the Lord. This is an amazing passage, Psalm chapter 2. And when I, I have read this once a month for countless years, <laughs> right? I mean, you go through your passages, you're, read, you're reading you know, your Psalms and your Proverbs, and you're doing your daily reading. And, and, the, and the other day I'm reading this, I'm like, man, why do the heathen rage? The Lord put that verse on my mind at first. And, and then I'm looking into this chapter and I start reading and I'm like, wow, how have I missed some of these things? Some of these things. The reason the Lord put that verse on my mind is because I was asking him, Lord, what are we to do in this day? What are we to do? The world is so vile. There seems to be no hope at any turn. Most segments of even fundamental Baptists are saying, you better just get your guns and hide your kids and hide your kids and hide your wives. <laughs> that was not of the Lord. <clears throat> Oh, but that's what a lot of people are saying. You better hide. You better take your guns and just go hide and they're going to come after you. And you know what? You just try to raise your family, protect yourself. And, you know, don't you see that FEMA camps and don't you see that Soros is buying up all this? And don't you see all that? Don't you see all this? And everyone's like, oh, the church is all in fear. And Christians are in fear. And honestly, I'm thinking, I'm like, Lord, what? What are we to do? Because I know you don't want us to live in fear. That's definitely, I know that that's not right. What are we to do? And he says, and he brings this. Why do the heathen rage, Steve? He brings that into my mind. Why do the heathen rage? And he brings me right here. It's a lost world. It's a lost world. And they are raging and they hate restriction, they hate being held back, they want unbridled lusts to be fulfilled, and we're the only thing standing in their way because we are ambassadors of Christ, and they hated him, so they're going to hate us, and they want to destroy us, but yet we're their only hope of them having that second chance to kiss the sun. Because he's left us here to share that message. And so I'm just rejoicing. I'm thinking, man, this is great. I'm thinking, what, what, do I, what are we supposed to do? And the Lord just answers it clearly. Well, you just need to keep sharing the gospel. You need to remember who they are, that they're lost. And you need to make sure that it's, you are ready and equipped every single day of your life. When you walk out of your home and you're going to encounter somebody, you had better open your mouth. If you're as concerned as you are, and this is me and my conversation with the Lord, and the Lord's smacking me. If you're concerned as you are, you say you are, Steve, and you really know what to do, then you better start being a better witness. Because I'm long-suffering. 
And because I want them to be saved. And because, you know what, I see the whole picture and they've been hating me a whole lot longer than they hate you right now and you've only been alive for 36 years of it. You better just open your mouth and share the good news. And I'm like, oh man, okay, all right, I get it. And then I'm studying some more. And I wind up at Acts chapter 4. And you've got to turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are imprisoned, right? The apostles, the Peter and John, they're imprisoned. And the, and the, and the Sanhedrin or the, the, the body, the Pharisees call them together and, and they say, hey, hey, we don't want you to talk about this uh, anymore. It says, and they called them in verse number 18, John chapter, or Acts chapter 4, verse 18. They called them, Peter and John, together. And they spake to them, uh, do not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Right? Isn't this Psalm chapter 2? Yeah. Look at this. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more unto God, judge ye. Are we supposed to listen to you or God? You, you make the call. It's pretty obvious to us. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them, because the people, for all men, glorified God for that which was done. Um, verse 23. L- listen to this. This is amazing to me. I don't know how I missed this for all these years. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chiefs and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, listen to this. Look at this prayer. We just went through all this prophecy. Now look at this prayer that Peter, or Peter and John and the, the, the apostles are about to pray. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth, listen to this, of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, the anointed. For of truth, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Remember, they take counsel together. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For they do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. Remember, kiss the sun. By stretching forth thy hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Remember, I'm asking the Lord, what do we do? What do I do? The world is a wicked, evil, vile place. And the heathen rage and they imagine vain things. What do we do? Peter and John had already been through it. Not had they only already been do it through it, but they had read the same psalm that I had just read. And you know what happened? They prayed, they got filled, and they shared the gospel. 
you know what? The world in which we live can be a discouraging place. And no doubt there will be evil things, wicked things that will happen to God's people. They hate him. They will hate you. And there will be things that you'll have to endure that you can't even imagine enduring. But the grace will be sufficient. It always is. But you know what our response ought to be? Let's make sure that we're right with the Lord. That we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's be fervent witnesses. Let's be witnesses for him. Man, the world is falling to pieces. It is a mess. But you know what? There is not an ounce of me. There is not one ounce of me right now that is worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I'm not stressed about it at all. And you know what? We don't, that's not our job. Let's just be of good cheer. He's laughing. We may as well be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And let's make sure our light is shining bright. You know, far too often the reason that we're scared of what's happening in the world today as the church is because we're so full of self that we don't have the strength of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives to stabilize us. We inundate and we fill ourselves with carnality. We fill ourselves with, with entertainment and, and things to take our mind, to distract our minds from things that are actually happening instead of being filled with the Holy Ghost. We grieve the Spirit of God and we hinder the Spirit of God in our lives. And so we live in fear. But he's in heaven. And his king has been set over Zion. And he will extend the olive branch one more time. And one more time. And one more time. Just by chance that they'll kiss the sun. And so if he gives us that time frame here still on this earth to spread the good news then we got to take advantage of it, folks. We have got to be witnesses. Peter and John come out of this thing. (laughs) They didn't know what to do either. And they prayed, and the Lord made it clear, and he said, here's some boldness, and here's a filling. (laughs) Go open your mouths boldly. Boldly open your mouths. Not timidly, not shy. Boldly stand up for Christ. And can I encourage you, church, Let's just forget it. Put it all aside. Don't live in fear. Live in a way that honor and pleases the Lord and let's be a witness. Make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. We need holiness. It's a whole other topic we can't even get into tonight because these things won't happen without holiness. But if you'll be holy, if you'll come out and touch not the unclean thing, the Lord will use you. And there will be some, like Brother John Vladicek. He might be the one. As we pray for a son who's praying for his father to come to the knowledge of the gospel. Man, having lost my dad, I can't imagine what that would be like to lose a father and him head to hell. Our hearts should break for that. And we should rejoice for the time we find ourselves in. Because it's in a window. It's a window of opportunity for Joe's dad to get saved. And so many other countless fathers 
and mothers and sons and daughters and grandparents, loved ones to be saved. Let's not be distracted. Let's be excited about the time we find ourselves in. And let's be a witness. Let's walk out of here determined more than ever. We're just going to share the good news because it makes all the difference. It may just be in one person's life, but that's what he came to do, to seek and to save the one that was lost. Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Lord, thank you for uh, speaking to my heart, Lord, and I pray that you would take this truth and just embed it in my heart, Lord. I know that there's going to be days ahead where even I will forget these things. I, I'll become distracted. Lord, I pray that you would burn these truths into my heart and my soul. Lord, that I would not forget the purpose for which I have to be in this world and to rejoice in the fact that you have overcome the world. Lord, I pray that you would, as the apostles did, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, may we be empty vessels, fit for the master's use, and may we speak boldly the message of the gospel. As the piano begins to play this evening, if you would stand, we'll have a brief...